Welcome to the Holy Donors Podcast. Join Andrew, Matt, Ren, and me, Thaddeus, as every week we bring you inspiring stories of radical generosity that have changed the world. So, Andrew, you ready to get started? Can't wait. Inspired by the events in North America, a revolution proclaiming liberty, equality, fraternity broke out in France in 1789. Soon, a royal fortress was besieged and captured, France's king and queen, their family placed under house arrest. Less than two years later, a similar revolution with similar hopes and dreams began in Haiti. A wealthy family, plantation owners, and slave owners for at least two generations observed these events unfolding in their homeland over six years and finally in 1797 decide they must leave behind everything and flee. It's 1801 and a Frenchman wrote from Haiti in the throes of its own revolution to his anxious family in New York. As for our property, I fear we will be unable to control its destiny. We must wait to see what will be spared from its destruction. The terror, fear, and mutual hatred that infected all levels of Haiti's society exploded in an orgy of vicious crime and reprisal. Blacks had discovered a new weapon which they wielded with ease. Haiti's great sugar fields were often devastated by invasions of the dreaded sugar ant. To protect their sugar crop, French planters used arsenic as a poison. Black slaves soon learned to use the arsenic to destroy their owners' crops, cattle, wives, children, and of course, their cruel masters as well. Runaway slaves hid in the countryside and formed ravaging bands which attacked the unwary. They burned, pillaged, and raped. Violence on the part of blacks and whites escalated to barbarian intensity. Holy Donors is presented by Petrus Development. Does your nonprofit organization need to raise more money? Work with the leading teach to fish consulting firm Petrus Development. Check us out at PetrusDevelopment.com. Gentlemen, this is great to be back in the studio to record another great episode of Holy Donors, The Faithful Hairdresser. I'm Matt. I'm going to be the guide today. I'm here with the team. Yeah, thanks, Matt. I'm Thaddeus Romanski. This time, I'm the lead investigator. I also give a little bit of historical background as usual. And I'm director of education development for the Red Sea Apostolate. Thanks, Thaddeus. I'm Andrew Robison, president of Petrus, and I am excited to be along for the ride. I'm going to be jumping in, asking some questions, uh, providing some context, but uh, really just enjoying the episode. And I'm Ren Hain. I'm here to run the board and be behind the scenes and try to make you guys sound even better than you already do. Why, thank you, Ren. So we have an exciting season coming up. It's definitely a holy donor that goes the farthest back in history that we've ever focused on. Yeah, that's right. We're going all the way back to the 18th century, right around the beginning of the United States to start our story. Yeah, and I will say from my perspective that this is brand new territory for me. I have very little understanding about kind of where Pierre Toussaint came from, the world that he grew up in, but getting ready for this season um, has been fantastic just in terms of opening my eyes to his contributions to a number of different aspects of the church, of society, And so I'm really excited to dive in deeper with him as well. Yeah, so Pierre's story, it's it's kind of at the intersection of several types of history. You've got the history of colonialism, history of slavery, history of the Atlantic world. So all the islands and continents bordering the Atlantic Ocean and their connections, antebellum American history, 
and most importantly for our purposes, of course, Catholic history. Uh, we're going to have two settings. Our story is going to be taking place in two locales. Saint-Domingue, which most of us know as Haiti, and we already got kind of introduced to that, and then the Big Apple, New York City. Mm -hmm. I think that his story is an example of how philanthropy and charity are possible for the least of us, for the outcasts even, because Pierre Toussaint's life as a holy donor actually began while he was enslaved, believe it or not. Wow. We're going to get to talk about that story. He's a model of humility. He was a Catholic who consistently put himself second, lived the law of the gift. He gave himself and his wealth, it turns out, away in love. And he did end his life as a wealthy person. Mm -hmm. That's going to be an exciting story to delve into. Yeah, for sure. And he's a model of humility and magnanimity. He anticipated that universal call to holiness we hear so much about from Vatican II, and he's doing it over a hundred years before that council makes that proclamation. But he's a terrific example of how we can live that out in our own lives. Do you want to learn to raise more money for your organization? Go to PetrusDevelopment.com education to learn about our free Petrus Academy offerings every month. PetrusDevelopment.com education. See you there. Thaddeus, I'm really excited to dive into this story. So we started off with a reading of a letter that somebody had sent from Saint-Domingue about to lose all of their property. There's clearly a lot of violence. There's a lot of strife going on in Saint-Domingue or Haiti at this time that this letter comes out. Tell us where that letter comes from and tell us you know, what's going on in Saint-Domingue, what's going on in Haiti at this time. Yeah, so that little excerpt from a letter was written by Jean-Jacques Berard. That was Pierre Toussaint's owner, his master. And he had gone back to Haiti after he fled there with his family and a few of his closest, dearest slaves, Pierre among them, also Pierre's sister, Rosalie, to New York City in 1797. He goes back to check on his holdings. And that's what he's writing about. Why does he need to go back? What's going on in Saint-Domingue? Because a great revolution, as, as was described in those that passage after the quote, that was from Father Boniface Hanley's biography, brief biography of Pierre Toussaint. A terrible revolution has broken out in Haiti between the enslaved and the master class. It went from 1791 to basically 1811. Incredibly violent. And the, this revolution, Saint-Domingue is a French colony. Yes. And so it's the earlier part in the episode was about the French Revolution that happened just a few years before this that kind of stimulated or instigated yes. this uh, revolution in Haiti, right? Exactly. And that revolution in Haiti wouldn't have been possible. It wouldn't have even happened without the institution of slavery. Saint-Domingue, as we know it, wouldn't have existed without slavery. So to tell the story of Saint-Domingue and where Pierre Toussaint came from, we have to talk about slavery, and we have to define our terms. Great. So slavery is involuntary dependent labor by non-family members who are the legal property of another person, and they have no claim on the product of their own labor. And they're objects of the law. The law acts on them. They have no rights under the law to act as subjects. Mm. It looks like slavery came about once— societies in early human history had 
domesticated agriculture and you start having some group of people who have a surplus of wealth that they don't have to work by the fruit of their own labor and they can make other people work for them. It took hold in most places across the globe, but of course it was very significant in the development of Western civilization and Islamic civilization. Mm -hmm. And you had kind of two types of slavery that predominated. Domestic slavery, and that's what that's what Pierre Toussaint was. He was a household enslaved person. He worked closely nearby the family as a as a personal servant, or you know others were might be cooks or cleaning ladies. And then you had productive slavery, field hands, where the slaves. That's kind of the typical image we have of slavery right. in the American context: is the enslaved working in cotton fields or tobacco fields to produce a cash crop, right? Right. Slavery also existed in sort of two social forms across the globe and throughout history. We have what are called societies with slaves and slave societies. What's the difference between those two? Yeah. Typically, scholars say that slave societies are those societies where 20 to 30 percent of the population is enslaved. Wow. Acquiring slaves is the path to wealth and social advancement. So would... Would that look more like the Confederate side during the Civil War? Right. That's The American South is a perfect example of a slave society, exactly. And kind of all the institutions of the society get deformed, you might say, by slavery. So marriage gets denied to slaves. The church turns a blind eye to the institution. The family, only whites have a legal status to the family. Slave families have no legal standing, mm-hmm. for example. We know that's a corruption of, of the truth, right? We know that's a corruption of the truth of, of the family as, as Catholics. Societies with slaves are those where there's a small population of enslaved persons, and slaveholders are likewise a small proportion of the, of the population. And so slavery is not a totalizing institution. So you might contrast the American South as a slave society with the colonies, the middle colonies and the New England colonies before the revolution, where those were societies with slaves. Slaves, Slavery was legal, but only a small proportion of the people practiced it, and a small proportion of the population was enslaved. Right. Okay. It's important to keep in mind that slavery is something that unfortunately has abounded throughout human history and across the globe. So Shang China in the 1700 to 1100 BC had about 5% of its population that was enslaved. It persisted in China into the 20th century. Slavery was practiced in ancient India, Thailand. The Vikings kept the prisoners from their raids as slaves. American Indians on the northwest coast practiced slavery. The Babylonians, the Egyptians, the Israelites all kept domestic slaves. Islamic societies kept slaves. Between 650 and 1905, probably 18 million black Africans were sold into slavery just in the Islamic world. Yeah, I mean, the the examples that you're pointing out, there's a power dynamic where one group is having sort of enacting control over another group. However, they came to have that power. Sometimes it was through, all the time, I guess it was through violent measures. There was a conflict. Mm -hmm. There was a war. Mm -hmm. um, There was a a, sort of a ruling class that sees another minority group that Mm -hmm. they can then come in and and force to take on this role as slaves. And then it perpetuates itself through, like you said, sort of this distortion, this corruption of these basic practices 
of society of life right. that then get sort of packaged, repackaged into right. this new construct uh, as them as being slaves. Right. Yeah. Another way it distorts the family is that enslaved status gets passed on right. through yeah. birth and generation rather rather than not. Okay. So I think you know just kind of sum it all up. We are the ones that live in unusual times for human history and human experience. We live in a time where slavery and inequality is seen as unusual and terrible and morally wrong. Most of human history had an understanding of inequality being the basic fact of life. Some people have are are better or superior, others are are not so. Some people in society owe, you know, fealty or service or labor for others and others do not. Hmm. That's such a wild thing to think about that you know throughout the entire you know thousands of years of civilization here we are in this moment that is you know we can say significantly better than many other parts of our history because of that attitude towards equality being the norm for everybody regardless of where you come from or what your circumstances are. Right. Or that I guess that striving for equality. So we've shared what slavery is. How does Pierre Toussaint fit into where you're building us to, Thaddeus? So Saint-Domingue became the world's most profitable sugar plantation, and it was the world's leading exporter of sugar and sugar products. You're talking about Saint-Domingue, which is now Haiti, right? Half of as probably the poorest country um, yes. by many It was measures. the jewel in the, the French imperial crown. It wow. was its richest colony. By far, by 1790, for example, so right on the eve of the Haitian Revolution, the colony was the largest producer of raw and semi-refined sugar in the world. It was producing two fifths of the global crop, and it had increased eight times in the hundred years previously. That's, the output—that's nuts. That's crazy. And it was on top of that the largest coffee producer in the world. So why was it so important for them to have slave labor to? harvest sugar. Is this a hard crop for people to be able to grow efficiently, economically? It was a very dangerous and labor-intensive process. So about 500,000 or 90% of Saint-Domingue's population were enslaved, and they were responsible for bringing to market a usable sugar product. You said 90% of the population of Saint-Domingue is this slave population, which earlier you said 20 to 30% then constitutes a slave society. That's right. You've been paying attention, Andy. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> so my question is, what measures did the ruling or the planter class use to be able to keep this 90% of the populace enslaved? Yeah, so that ruling class, which was known as the Grand Blanc, the white planters, plus the colonial officials, professionals like bankers and, and lawyers, most of them tried not to make life for the slave livable or tolerable. Harsh discipline was a feature of life on Saint-Domingue, especially for the field slaves. Listen to some of these grotesque punishments. Burnings at the stake, drownings, mutilations, Mm. scourgings, even the sacrilege of crucifixions. Goodness. Father Boniface Hanley had a really powerful quote. He said that the whip crack was Haiti's characteristic sound. Goodness. So the institution of slavery is basically driving the entire economy of Saint-Domingue. It's all, it's all riding on that, right. yes. So you have that. Then you have the French Revolution where 
basically the lower classes, the what are they called, the bourgeoisie, they rise up against the ruling class of the French. And this is in the mid 1790s. Yeah, 1789 right? is when it kicks off. Okay. Right? So then eventually that mentality, that sentiment, that attitude makes its way to Saint Domingue, where you have 90% of the population is basically being held under thumb and forced to do this really difficult right. labor with no benefit to themselves, right? So then you have this revolution where the people are rising up. You read that quote earlier about the roving bands, and they're just trying to you know, use this revolution as an equalizing effect in the country. Sure. Yeah, the slaves of Saint-Domingue have gotten word in varying degrees of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, the example of the American Revolution in their sure. own hemisphere, yeah. Yeah. and now... Phrases like liberté, égalité, fraternité, liberty, equality, fraternity, brotherhood in France. And they see the example of the Third Estate, the revolutionaries, imprisoning the king and queen in the Tuileries Palace in their own, putting them under house arrest in 1789. Yeah. And the revolution starts in Haiti in 1791. They've already got that example that they learn of, of the lower orders turning over the society. Right. And there's many accounts of criticism of how the, the French planter class could be so stupid to speak about the events going on in France, the news they're getting right in front of their domestic slaves. Mm. And then that yeah. information being passed and disseminated in to the fields. And that's that's partly how word spread. And so, yeah, this is all part of the society and the situation that Pierre Toussaint is born into. There we go. So let's let's go back into our hero. Hey Matt. Yeah. So I know a couple of years ago you went through a pretty intensive weight loss program, right? I did. Yeah. So did you just wake up one day and the weight was gone? No, I put together a plan and then I executed that plan and I had people in place to keep me accountable. Yeah. And so I also know that you just recently successfully completed a 25 million dollar plus capital campaign, right? We did, yes. Yeah, same thing. You just woke up and the money was there? No, not exactly. We uh, we did something very similar. We put together a plan, executed the plan, and we had a team around us that helped keep us accountable to that plan. And it just so happened to be it was Petrus. Yeah. So Petrus loved working with you on that project. And we work with organizations all over the place, Catholic parishes, nonprofits, campus ministries, high schools, middle schools. And that's what we do is we help to create a plan, execute on that plan, and then keep everybody accountable, moving in the right direction. So if you're listening and your organization needs to do a capital campaign, build a new building, add staff, start an endowment, go to petrusdevelopment.com slash campaign to learn more about working with us. Thanks, Matt. Thank you. He's living with his master, and he's a domestic slave at this moment. He's not the one growing sugar and having to move it, but right. he's he's part of this household. This revolution starts in 1791, mm -hmm. and how long are the Bayards willing to stick it out and hope that they don't become victims of this revolution? Yeah, so the Bayards stay there and try to hope against hope, you might say, that the revolution is going to burn itself out, or maybe French troops are going to arrive and put it down. There was an attempt by the Spanish who live on the other half of Hispaniola to come and, and put down the slave insurrection. It doesn't work. 
but they're hoping against hope that they're going to be able to survive this craziness. Mm-hmm. Finally, Pierre's master, Jean-Jacques Berard, decides in 1797 that it's time to at least flee temporarily, and he thinks it's only going to be temporary. He gathers up enough liquid cash to allow them to survive in New York City for about a year or a year and a half. And he rents apartments in New York City for them to live. It's him, his wife, Marie, their children, and then at least two of their most trusted domestic slaves, Pierre and his sister, Rosalie. And there may or may not have been other servants that came along, but it's a very small party. They leave the plantation, L'Artibonette, their sugar plantation, in either the hands of maybe a nearby French family or in the hands of a trusted, let's say, foreman to look over things, keep an eye on things. And they they leave the rest of their enslaved servants and field hands behind there in Haiti, trusting that they're going to be able to return in a short time. So in 1797, travel anywhere is pretty rough, but especially from an island in in the Caribbean to New York. What's that journey like? And then what do they find in New York whenever they get there? Like you said, Andrew, there's there's no guarantees in any of this that it's going to work out well for the Bayards and for the two cent. There's no guarantee that they're going to make it to New York safely. And I think we also shouldn't forget that for Pierre and his sister, they are being made to leave Haiti, right? Mm, yeah. They don't get a choice to stay behind and take a chance in maybe this new situation that's been created. But at the same time, we don't know, maybe they didn't want to stay. Maybe they were glad to go with, with the Bayards. So there's, there's nothing for sure as we enter this moment of decision to leave Haiti in 1797. But like always, you're going to have to wait till the next episode to find out what happens next. Well, Thaddeus, je ne peux pas attendre. Adieu. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for joining us for this episode of Holy Donors, brought to you by Petrus Development in cooperation with Red Sea Catholic Radio. Theme music by Tommy Kibb, Third Top Productions, graphics by 86 Creative. If you like us, leave us a review, share us with your friends, and check us out at holydonors.com and on Instagram. Holy Donors, bringing you inspiring stories of radical generosity that have changed the world. Y'all remember some jokes, some inside jokes that we had? I got one. Is this your Will Smith joke again? <laughs> I was trying to remember it, but yeah. <laughs> Here's one for all four of us. What do you call a parade of rabbits hopping backwards? A receding hairline. <laughs> oh, very nice. Hey, Thaddeus, I got a real new joke for you, one that you've never heard before. Okay. I can't wait. How do you find Will Smith in the snow? I don't know. How? You follow the Fresh Prince. (laughs) First time you're ever hearing that joke, am I right? Yeah. (laughs) 